Welcome back to the Mindside Podcast with me, James Moorhen, and my good friend, Robert Seaborn. In this episode, we had the pleasure of speaking to Dr. Kirsty Elliott-Sale, who's an Associate Professor at Nottingham Trent University. Yeah, a few of you may already know Kirsty as a lecturer, but in this episode, she opens up about some of the struggles she has had during her journey, in particular, the loss of her father right at the end of her PhD itself. Yeah, Kirsty and I have spoken a fair bit about the loss of both of our fathers, actually, and for sure, this is a very insightful episode, so um, a great episode for people to be listening into. But look, before you start, we'd just like to say a quick thanks to our sponsors, Fuel Hub. Fuel Hub are a healthy chef-prepared meal service delivering anywhere in the UK right now and directly to your door. The quality of their meals is outstanding. Um, I, I really think it's, it's like eating a restaurant quality meal at a fraction of the price. And personally, I've had them for months and they've helped me a lot during the lockdown and, and during busy days and go hand in hand with my training as well. So for now, please enjoy this brilliant episode on Spotify, Apple or Twitter with Kirsty. And any reviews, comments and feedback, as always, are welcome. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of uh, mine and James's podcast. And we're delighted to be joined by Kirsty Sale. Um, good morning, Kirsty. How are you? Good morning, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Thank you for coming on. We uh, greatly appreciate you uh, taking time out of your morning to join us. Um, now, me and James obviously know you uh, relatively well. Um, we are kind of all from the same academic circle, which are always close knit. So. We're never too far away from one another, but for people who aren't perhaps within that circle or don't know you and your background and where where you've come from and where you are now, do you mind just giving a little bit of um, a short synopsis of, I suppose, you? Yeah. So, so right now I'm an associate professor, so a reader um, at National Trent University, um, and my area is, is female physiology, so sports science, exercise physiology with a, a speciality in females. And I've been at NTU for 11 years or so. Um, before that, I had a, a mini career break. So um, what's really important to, to me and, and a big part of my story is that I'm a mum. Uh, I have twin boys who have just become teenagers. Hmm. Um, yes, yeah, so they are New Year's Day babies, uh, or teenagers now rather. Um, so, so before I, I had my guys, I did a, a four-year postdoc at King's College London. Um, which was a, a fabulous experience. So uh, great to have a, a research experience like that. Um, I'm still going back before that. So if you're still with me before that, I had two lectureships, one at um, the University of Brighton mm -hmm. and one at Brunel University, which then brings me right back to, I guess, this particular family. So I did my PhD and um, undergraduate degree at Liverpool John Moores. Um, that was back in the, in the 90s. And I'd left Ireland um, at sort of as soon as I'd sort of finished my exams at 18 and I, I came to England to to study um, yeah. so I think that's me <laughs> as a timeline <laughs> it's always amazing like um before we get into things it's always amazing to see the circles and where people come from and where they go and Liverpool John Moore's always always crops up um the amount of people who are derived or are there now and whatever that is a, a big spider's web of people who span from there so um, obviously, me and Definitely James. Definitely family, there. for sure. Yeah. I don't think we're alumni. We're, we're, a, we're a JMU army or a JMU family. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what you want to call us. I like to think family. Exactly. There's a lot of us uh, spreading around the globe at the moment, isn't there? Um, but look, Kirsty, so <clears throat> I suppose we, we caught up um, before Christmas. 
um, and and I shared with you kind of the the vision and the the view that uh, Rob and I have got with this podcast, um, and and shared the the whole process behind it with you. And we were having a discussion about a uh, I guess a critical moment in in your career um, and, and in your life uh, to date. Obviously, you, you shared a lot of that with me on the call, and it, it you know it was amazing to hear it. But I just wondered whether you would be happy to lay the foundation out really and, and just share that critical moment and, and give a bit of context for the people that are listening for the podcast today. Sure, absolutely. So um, as I said, I, I left Ireland um, when I was 18, just gone 18, <laughs> literally 18 in a few days, and um, went to Liverpool John Moores and, and did my degree and, and PhD there. And, and actually within sort of 48 hours of my PhD graduation ceremony, um, I just got a phone call out of the blue on a random Saturday afternoon. And um, yeah, that was, hello, your father was dead. And, and that's pretty much how it went. And, you know, to say it was unexpected was, was an understatement. Um, I can't describe to you that shock, you know, that, you know, when it when it's when it's unexpected, when you know you when your parent hasn't been unwell, you know, when it's just as I say, an ordinary Saturday afternoon, it's I don't know what I, I, I don't I still don't have the words. It's almost 20 years later and I don't have the words for that moment which takes your breath away. And and actually my, my dad's family, they're a fairly blunt lot. So that is how the conversation went. It was hello, your father is dead. And I, I, I don't know what, what, what they said after that. Um, but yeah, it, that, that was a, a real defining moment for, for me in, in, I guess, my career, in, in my life. And, and everything changed from, from that point. And I guess I was very fortunate that up until that point, you know, my life had sailed along really nicely with that incident. The only other person I knew who had died was my great granny. Um, and she was very old. And I, I was still quite young when she died. And it, it felt, you know, like more of a you know, a, a natural thing when, when somebody's that age. But, but just to give a little more context, um, my dad was 49, um, so he never made it to 50. Um, he hadn't been unwell. Um, and, and yeah, he, you know, I grew up, and I, I don't know if this is a particularly Irish saying, but, you know, we, we would grow, grow up here hearing people say, so-and-so dropped dead. And, you know, it's, it's meant as a saying for somebody had passed away, had died. And um, I guess even I was, I was 24 when my dad died and um, I didn't realize up until that moment that people really did drop dead. And, and that's mm. how it was for my dad. And um, he was in his garden and, and he dropped dead and he was dead by the time he hit the ground. Everybody around him tried to help, but there was nothing to be done. And for me, at, at that moment, you know, he, my dad was living in Germany and my mum and dad had, had separated. My mum was in Ireland. I was in England. My dad was in Germany. My brother's a bit of a, he's a nomad. And he was at that time actually out on the Welsh hills. Um, and, and I guess that's part of the story that, you know, once you start to process that information, you know, my story then continues with having to tell, you know, send the police out to find my brother on the Welsh Hills and, and take him back to me and tell him and tell my mum in Ireland. So even though they were separated, you know, that's still, it's not an easy conversation to have, yeah. right? And just to make those phone calls and, and to deal with that. And, and even though I'm the youngest, <laughs> I'm the baby of the family. And um, it just seemed really clear to me in that moment that it would be for me to, to step up and take over. Um, 
so yeah, so everything changed from that moment and, you know, things had to be done. And when somebody dies in a different country, it's not that straightforward and, and you've got to get yourself there. And yeah, it's, I guess that's, that's that, I guess, critical moment for me um, that, that changed, I guess, what I did and who I became from that moment. So yeah. it, it kind of, you had like all of this upward momentum and positivity and then to have that happen kind of out of the blue must have been really hard yeah really there's nothing hard. like thinking you've arrived at, you know in, yeah. in life and then just to be you know told no not not as as you know you're not quite where you thought you were and and for me unfortunately my dad hadn't been at my phd graduation so i, I mentioned that my mum and dad were separated and, and my dad had done the honorable thing and he mm. said you know i won't go your mum should go you know it's really important that she's there and you know so i guess you know isn't hindsight wonderful and and you know you could beat yourself up and think oh what if he'd been there and i'd seen him or you know would the same thing have happened you know th th there's a it's um i don't know if you guys know the, the very old uh it's from the 90s the um the TV, uh, the, the film actually, Sliding Doors, and, and yeah. it's just something changes in a moment and, and, and sort of the other path. But yeah, I, I had thought, you know, that I'd, you know, got this PhD, I'd had my first job, so I'd just taken my first job as a lecturer at Brunel University, um, you know, and I thought I'd arrived. Yeah. And little did I know that in that one moment, you know, as you say, all that, what I thought was forward momentum, that my life was about to start, I guess, for a short time anyway, I felt like my life had, had ended, not was about to start on this really sort of cool path. And, and you know, I'd, I'd, I'd say I was in a new job, you know, that my colleagues were, were still relatively new to me, very kind, you know, I, absolutely very kind and, and really looked after me. But I was, you know, a relative stranger to them and, and, and them to me. Um, so, yeah, it's, it really did sort of, you know, knock me and it suddenly becomes, what, what do I do? What do I do now? Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, I know, James, you spoke about kind of it feeling like the the breath was taken out of your lungs and that you were kind of it was like a literally like a car crash. Um, I don't know if that was the same for whether you used to have kind of a similar experience of the acute reaction to some of this like really tragic news. Yeah, yeah. And look, I think it's important that this episode is, is about Kirsty 100 percent. All I would say there is that. You know, listening to Kirsty talk about that, it, it resonates so much with, with what I had to go through myself. You know, my older brother rang me on the train back into Liverpool from a stag do. So not quite the high of graduating your PhD, but you've had a great weekend with your boys. And um, yeah, Daniel, the same. It was, mate, can you get back to Essex? Dad's dead. And, and it's that hard-hitting sledgehammer moment where... You, you know, you can't ever prepare for those moments where that phone call happens. And I remember actually coming out of Lime Street, um, meeting Nora to go for a coffee in the afternoon on that Sunday. And I just blocked it off. I just completely forgot what I'd been told. And my first reaction to Nora was, how's your day been? And, and she looked at me and was like, forget about me. How was your weekend? Like you were on a stag do. And then I, I remember connecting eyes with her and then that was it, like broke down in, in the middle of Lime Street, had to sit out, out on the front on the steps. And just it was that that real moment of clarity, like head in hand moment thinking, has that genuinely just happened? And I, I thought it was a, a horrible, nasty wind up, really. Like, I, you know, I had to get in the car, drive from Liverpool to Essex, 
and, and you're, you're in the car for four hours trying to process the situation that's just happened, you know, what is it you do when you first get back to your mum's house? Like, do you hug her? Do you say sorry? Like, what is that first thing you do? And again, you can't prepare for anything because you're just caught up in that washing machine whirlwind moment. Um, so, yeah, I, I resonate unbelievably with with what Kirsty has shared with us and, and gone through there. Um, I suppose the, the thing that I'd like to ask you, Kirsty, is 24, you just graduated. Rob mentioned there the high of the graduation and, and being in that amazing position. So how did it affect you at that physical time? And what? how, how did it then change your long term? Because I, for one, can definitely say losing my dad has changed how I've now reacted, how I process situations. I don't let little things wind me up as much as they probably used to. So it'd be really interesting to hear how that acutely affected you and, and obviously how you've um, come forward long term. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and what you've just said is, you know, I, I think we have similar sort of experiences. Um, I think, you know, in the short term on that day, like you, it, it felt like a car crash. You're right. It, it, it knocks you. And I can see how sort of almost in the films, you know, you see people drop to their knees. And, and actually, that is quite a common reaction because it is like something's hit you. Um, it's so so unexpected. It's it's an assault and and you know when I hung up the phone initially from from being told, um, I I was on the ground. I hadn't passed out or anything, but I didn't realise that I'd sunk to the ground. I didn't think to sit in a chair or anything. I just had sunk to the ground, and I just laid on the floor and I just cried for for such a long time. Um, and then you know I think for me and and I think I knew it beforehand, but I definitely know it now is you know, I'm good in a crisis and, and I'm, I'm good at sort of pulling myself together and, you know, I'm good at sort of sorting stuff out. And, you know, I guess I feel for your brother, you know, when you said, oh, my brother called me, I was thinking, I'm thinking about your brother. I didn't want to be, I, in my mind, a funny sort of strange thought went through. Oh God, you know, if I tell them all, they'll all hate me because I'm telling the news. And so when you said that about your brother, I thought, oh, your poor brother, you know, that he had to be the one to say that. And it's silly because, you know, it, but you remember who it was. And, and anyway, so anyway, and um, so, yeah, so I sort of, I guess, having had a, a big emotional reaction and, you know, and, and that is one thing that I guess I, I will say is that I'm a firm believer in as, as the emotions hit you is, is to let them all out, never try and stifle them. So, you know, if I want to lie on the floor and cry, even now, I, I still will. And I'll let it all out and, and then I'll be better and I can pick myself up and, and move on. And so then, as I say, you know, it became very much sort stuff out and, you know, sort out my family, tell my family, get to Germany, you know, have my dad's funeral, all, all that sort of stuff. Um, so, so how it changed me, I, I guess, is, you know, allowing myself to feel awful because when you start to cry people near you the first thing they want to go oh stop crying don't worry it's fine and and i would say that you know how it's changed me is if i'm with somebody who's upset i let them be upset and mm. um, i don't you know as i say and it's not people are being unkind but it's their instinct to go yeah. there there you know stop crying it'll be fine don't you know don't be upset that sort of thing and i would say that it's changed me that you know i think it's it's okay to be upset. I'd rather be upset and let it out. And although this 
it seems wrong i don't quite know how to put it but you do feel a little better after you've let it out mm. you know even in the short term i mean everything is awful as a concept but you know you have moments where you feel a little better you catch your breath or you run on autopilot as you say or you become distracted and and, and i guess people maybe listen to this think oh gosh that's cold or how do you compartmentalize but you can't live it to that extreme every single second you can yeah. that's unsustainable and um, so yeah so so i think you i learned that things are up and down i i felt like i should be almost that person from the film you know dramatic grief all of the time you know and then you think actually that that's not sustainable it's not healthy it's not good for anybody and you have to do things and you have to help other people like you said when you get to your house you've got to help your mom yeah. you know you're with your brothers it's it's more than that so so yeah it's, it's I, i've learned that i think you know there's there's extremes i think you can feel you can still feel happiness i i remember you know within days of my dad dying you know laughing about anecdotes about him you know things that he did and again, you know, to maybe people on the outside looking in, that would seem rude or how could you act like that? But I have learned that, you know, with overwhelming grief, you know, come pockets of times where, you know, you, you reminisce and it's, it's happiness and it's bittersweet. And, and yeah, so I'm sorry, I completely wandered off the rest of it. <laughs> nice. you know, how has it changed me? I, I think that's the thing of allowing myself the time to grieve when I need to, but actually allowing myself the opportunity to live in the spaces between. Um, and I think how that's changed me in interacting with people, as I say, is that, you know, for me, I like company when I'm sad. I, I like people around me. It's not, I don't, I have a thing with personal space. It's not that I want people sort of hugging me or, or even sort of patting me, just company. I think that's what I've learned as well. And I think maybe, I hope that's helped me, help my friends about just being there, even if they want to ring me and not speak, that I'm just there as company on the phone. Yeah. So, so maybe there was a bit of an answer in, in, in there, hopefully, <laughs> so, sorry. Um, so you talk a lot about when, the, when it happened and you um, obviously you had the initial emotional kind of reaction to it. And then you quickly became very um, organized and very act like action orientated and doing things because from what I interpret, it kind of sounded like you were the one to take that mantle in, the, in your family of contacting others and organizing bits and whatever and becoming very action orientated. Um, looking back then, do you think that whole kind of process of you, the em initial emotional outlet and then the having to sort everything out and be proactive and keeping busy and whatever do you think that whole process worked well for you in over trying to come to terms with what had happened um do you think that looking back now obviously i think you said it had been about 20 years looking back now do you think that whole process of emotional reaction and then proactively doing stuff worked for you yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I, if I hadn't, you know, if, if I wasn't needed to, to organize things and, and, and sort of, you know, get stuff done and, and, and do that sort of thing, I don't know what I would have done. I think, yeah. you know, I, 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 I just, I looking back and, and as you don't know, but I just imagine that I would have just sat there all the time 
crying because that's the sort of the crying fills the gaps of being yeah. busy and having things to do. And so I do wonder that, yeah, I think that in a way saved me having having things to do. And as I say, this need for me for, for company, I mean, even so I was living in a flat on, on my own at the time. And so when I when I got back from my dad's funeral in Germany and I didn't then have anything to, to do, I used to go out like walking almost like in the middle of the night just because, you know, I, I, I lived in St. Albans and, you know, had quite a good nightlife and I was just happy walking the streets so I could see people going about their lives and and so so for me yeah, I think being being busy um you know and because I wasn't long in a new job you know I had a lot to do you know mm. they were very good they wanted to give me as much time off as I needed but I, I was happy in a way to go back and to work and be part of that and you know as I say to find my feet as a brand new lecturer my first lecture in job you know was a new flat new city new everything and so I think a combination for me of, of keeping busy and, and seeking out company and, and don't worry I, I wasn't walking the streets right in the middle of the night in unsafe places and I have great friends and you know my, my friends really kept me company I think for me and this is probably where James and I our experience is quite different you know James comes from a very close family my family are all over the place and you know once I came back I was alone again without family and my friends were, were my saving grace and mm. um, so for me I think the two things that you know really helped me was being busy a with the organization of dad's funeral and, and so on and his estate and then with my new job and then b this company that I tried not to be alone for long periods of time. You know, I, I reached out to sort of friends and I, kept, I, I put myself out in the world, whether it was to walk around the shops, even though I wasn't interested in all the shopping or to walk around, you know, the, the, the city or whatever. But I just wanted to be yeah. near people to remember that life was still going on because I think that's the thing. When you lose a life, you wonder, you know you begin to think if you're alone all the time you're just thinking you think everything has stopped and actually maybe cruelly for those first few weeks nothing has stopped yeah you know nothing everybody else is living you're still living and even though there were a few weeks where you just feel that i don't know about you james but that conflict between getting on with your life living doing something it feels rude in a way but then it slowly starts to get to you that, you know, your life can't stop. It shouldn't stop. And it's not disrespectful because you are still alive and you have to switch between that, I guess, mindset to knowing that missing somebody is really okay, but missing them shouldn't take you to, you know, not wanting to be alive or not wanting to live or not wanting to be happy that's different and we must keep on the side of it's okay to be sad it's absolutely okay to miss them but it's okay to live too yeah yeah there's there's so much in that Kirsty. um i mean I, I remember saying to you before christmas it, isn't it amazing how much you learn that of how much your parents taught you when they've gone yeah and um the the way dad used to teach us subconsciously now we're only realizing it now but just how to process situations for what they are and and like what you're saying what we learned very quickly was the postman still comes in the morning <laughs> you know the little is still open at eight o'clock and the earth carries on spinning and so the the, the sooner we understood that and processed it the, the quicker it was for us to be able to move on, I guess. And the one thing you talk about there was, was staying busy. And Christ, did I stay busy? Because I, for me, selfishly, in a way, I just went, 
you know, rocket up the backside into the PhD. And I remember ringing Graham and saying to him, right, nothing else matters in the life right now. I want to do the Viva on dad's birthday. So if it's 17th of April, when do I need to submit it? And he was like, you know, beginning of March. And that was a, a kind of a six month window. And he was like, right, if you're telling me you want to get it done, then we'll get it done. And, and that was it then six months of my life. It was every waking hour. You know, I, I wasn't walking around having a look at the nightlife, but for me, it was laptop open. It was, I was into the PhD and I remember sitting down with mum early days and just saying to her, we've got to set you some goals. We need to get your brain to start achieving things again. And it, it was simple things of, you know, getting up and out of bed in the morning and having a shower. Like first couple of weeks, it was curtains were drawn and it was the black hole of, of grief. Um, and so setting goals early on and, and keeping mum busy and achieving small little windows of opportunities I think massively helped her. And I think that resonates with what you're saying there about being busy at work and having mm. things to do um, just to keep the, the brain ticking. There's two really big things. I mean, I haven't had this experience of losing a parent uh, touch wood yet. Um, I have lost like an uncle and grandmother and stuff, but no one directly um, above me um, in terms of parents. But so listening to you two speak there, there's two things that really stick out is one is this conscious effort to keep busy. And my question, and this isn't in a crude way, or I don't want to be too blunt, but do you think that conscious effort to stay busy is to stop you thinking about what's happened? Or is it simply a conscious effort of that's the way in which you handle or can manage what's happened? Ooh, um, I, I mean, I didn't want to think about yeah. that because I, about sort of dad dying because God damn it, I am blessed with a great imagination. And, and you know, I wasn't there. And, and you know, for me, and I don't know if there's a scientist in me, but I wanted all the details. You know, I spent a long time asking the people who were there and around. And I'd say my, my dad lived in Germany. I didn't speak any German. So, you know, I, it was almost like, you know, Sherlock Holmes for a while, trying to piece it all together. And then, you know, be careful what you wish for. Once you know what happened, oh, then, you know, in the dark of night, your imagination clicks yeah. in. And, 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 you know, even though I wasn't there when my dad died, suddenly it felt to me like I could see him dying and I could see him dead on the floor and, and all of these things. So I guess in some ways I consciously, you know, I, I didn't want to keep thinking about that all the time because, you know, when you're thinking about that, you know, you, you are going to cry, you are going to be upset, your stomach is going to churn, or, you know, all of those sort of reactions you might have. And, and I'm a great one for getting headaches, and my head would be thumping, you know, <laughs> sitting there, you know, thinking about all of that. But, you know, it's, I, I guess, maybe, maybe the answer is, is both, really, because after a while, even though you might start off knowing that you don't, you know, that either you can't and you don't want to think about that all the time, then it becomes more that, you know, then by distracting yourself, by keeping busy, that it lessens all of those things. I, I don't know, maybe it's it's not clear cut one, one or the other. And I don't think it's, you know, I think we've said sort of consciously trying to do it. Some of it is conscious, but some of it is, you know, unconscious too. I think 
I think you just find a way to survive. And, and sometimes it's, it's very, you know, today I'm going to do this so that I'm not thinking about yeah. that. And I mean, Saturdays for me, I mean, James, I already heard you said Sunday for you, Saturday for me, you see, it's the day. And for the first few months, I hated Saturdays. I mean, I really hated Saturday. I didn't want it to be Saturday. I don't know whether I thought something bad was going to happen every day. I just hated Saturdays, you know, and, and so all these things. So I think it's a real mixture between, you know, sometimes you, you actively, I would say, save yourself from, yeah. from that, as, as, as James said, that dark hole of, of grief. You know, sometimes you, you fall in it despite your best efforts, and then you have to fall in it. You, you can't just flip the switch and go, oh, now I'm, you know, never going to think of this again. Mm. You know, so sometimes you fall in, sometimes you consciously avoid it, and then sometimes you unconsciously avoid it yeah. because you start through habits and, and through routine and so on just to to be less in those situations, you know, where it is just you and something triggers you and, and so on. But just again, be mindful that when something does trigger you, for me, I don't know, I have a thing with music, Jesus Christ, music gets me. I mean, and, and, and the worst thing, and, and I'll, I'll tell you this, because it's almost funny, um, but at my dad's funeral, they asked me sort of, you know, what sort of music would you like to play? And I don't know, I was just like, oh God, he really loves Simon Garfunkel. So I'm like, let's go with Bridge Over Troubled Water. Lovely song. Oh Jesus, I can't hear that song now. And I remember like five years after that died, I was in like a shopping center and that song came on. I just like burst into tears and every other normal person's like, what? And I'm trying to run out. And even now, if I hear it, I, my instinct is to turn it off. I don't want to hear that song because I know I'm going to cry. It's the, you know, and now I'm going, damn, I wish I picked a different song because I like that song and I wish I could listen to it. You know, and in fact, I don't listen to the whole album now. But, you know, it's, it's the, yeah. you know, it's, it's a whole mixture of, you know, conscious coping strategies and, and subconscious ones. And, and, you know, whether, again, this might sound cruel to people or, or maybe some people won't want to believe it, but time, over time, it just becomes, you know, more usual, doesn't it? And, and, and I, I, I said to James, actually, when we were talking before Christmas, that I remember when Dad died, somebody said to me, you know, just give it time, mm. in time. I promise you it will get less. I promise you you'll feel better. I promise you it won't be as bad. And I just remember looking at that person going, I know that. You know, that's a rational thing to say. I, I know that to be true. I looked at them and I went, how do I survive? the days between now and that time. And they looked at me like, oh, it's a really good question, don't know. <laughs> they felt bad because they were trying to comfort me. But it's, it, it is, you know that over time it will all lessen. You, as I say, you can't live at that 100% deep. Mm. You, you can't, you know, you'll go under. And I think to, to survive it, it becomes less and it becomes less over time, but you've got to survive that time before it becomes the less. So yeah, that's brilliant because it, it sounds like the main thing that that um, helped you get through it all was time because it time well everyone says time is a healer etc but it sounds exactly like that but to get through that period before you hit kind of time when it when it started to ease off it sounds as though you've you use kind of a connection and network of friends around you to help you through it and you consciously or subconsciously whichever kept yourself busy to allow what was going on to drip feed, feed its way through rather than to come through in one massive, I suppose, lump sum. You use kind of those two processes of like a network of people around you and 
just keeping busy and, uh, and active to process what was going on before time itself then managed to do that for you and with you. Yeah, I, I think that that's a really good good summary for it. And, and as I say, I, I keep saying my friends were, were excellent and, and James, I know you said the same. You know, people reaching out, you know, I still remember all of the people who phoned me within the 24 hours after my dad died. And then I remember about a year later, I thought, they all know and now i realize there must have been this like secret network that you know one person told another told another and and you know it just it meant everything you know 20 years on i can tell you every person who phoned every person i spoke to and that was so important and i feel for people now and i think this is another i guess life lesson god there's nothing good to say to somebody and so don't even try don't try to find the right words all what helped me was that they rang and that I heard their voice and that I knew they were thinking about me. And in the end, after like a minute or two of that sort of stumbling awkward conversation, I was pretty much like, oh, you could talk to me about what colour you painted your bedroom. It yeah. doesn't matter. Just to, again, that sense of confidence that you're not alone. Because as I say, when you lose our life, you think that everything has stopped. And all you need is, not all you need, but some of what you need is that constant reminder that, you're still living, they're still living, life is is going on, that, that there's something to come back to from this dark moment. And as I say, my, my friends, as I say, I don't know how they did it, but you know, and, and they must have, you know, some of them were apologizing that it was the day later because they'd only just, and it was like, no, you're amazing. And, and they, they really took me, I think, back. And, and as I say, I, I come from a, a slightly disjointed family. Um, and so for me, I don't know if they still know to this day, but they really did save me in, in a way because I, I guess my setup with my sort of disjointed family, I could have very easily became, you know, been alone for a long time and, you know, just got into that habit. And, and actually, God, I hope my mum never listens to this. But my mum is, you know, she's great. She's lovely. I love my mum. But she is more of a, oh God, yeah, Anyway, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to tell you anyway. She she would be, oh, I don't know how to put it politely. She'd sort of be a, a grieving widow. And, and James and I talked about the importance of not letting it become almost in a way an occupation. And again, please don't be offended, Irish people. But, but grief is a thing in Ireland. And, you know, and, and we have a whole, you know, I think different view and experience with, with, with death and so on. And, you know, I knew, you know, when I told my mum that my dad had died, even though that they were separated, I, I knew it would become a big lifelong thing for her and that I would need to pick her up and I knew she would never be able to pick me up. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I even forgot, how did I be around to my mum? Now I've said mean things about my mum and I, I don't even remember how we got there. But anyway, what were we talking about? <laughs> No, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Uh, oh, my friends, that's what I was. Yeah. Sorry. So, yeah, so sorry. Now I remember. I was going between that thing of friends and family. So, yeah, so I, I going back to complimenting my friends and not being mean to my mum, but <laughs> my friends picked me up, I guess, in the yeah. way that was the point. In the way that possibly, you know, my family couldn't. So I became that for them, but my friends, and, and little did they know, and, and I hope over the years I've reminded myself to say to them, look, you know, when dad died, you were great, and I'll never forget that. And, and these are still, you know, the people who from they're still my friends now. I'm, I'm super lucky. Um, you know, as James, I, I know you've, you've you know, and we share some of those friends, and, and they're great guys, and, and it makes a big difference. So sorry. Sorry for the little detour. Hopefully that's <laughs> coherent. All good, all good. There's um, <clears throat> there's something just in there before we move on to the next question, Kirsty, that I think 
um, really important and, and something that I learned through it all was that ability to understand that when that moment and that memory enters the mind and it brings about all of those emotional feelings again, that's absolutely fine. And, and that is part of the process. And an emotion is like, you know, an emotion is an emotion. So it, it will never last and sustain seven years. You know, we, we don't laugh every single minute of every single day. We'll have that period where something's really funny and then we crack on and we get on with something else. And it's, it, that's what I've learned to, to almost, it's going to sound very strange this, but to enjoy that when, you know, I'm looking at dad on the shelf there, when I look at dad and I, I think of memories and it enters my mind, I enjoy it and I, I look back with a, you know a happy memory and then the next thing it's gone and I crack on with something else um, and I think that's um, that's something that's massively helped me and and listening to you there it's 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 coming through that you've understood and managed how to process that yourself as well um, so look as we move on I suppose what do you think you've learned about yourself as a result of going through this critical moment because it you know 24 it's a massive impact of the life but you know what in particular about you did you learn Ooh, that's a good question um oh <laughs> yeah I, i'm trying to i'm trying to sort of sort of think because i say i think I had well, you know when you know when you're young, you're still young. When when you're young, you think you're invincible, and and you think that you know you you know nothing nothing can break you, and and nothing can you know really you know everything's fine. You, you just bounce along, and and as I think we, we sort of said, I had this great momentum. I, I was full of myself. I had a PhD, and I was 24, and you know I'd arrived, and I think you know. I, I thought I was strong, but, but you never know until some somebody tests that, and and you know. As, as, as Rob said, we, we don't want anybody to be tested in this way. So I guess what I learned about myself was it, it's that I am strong. So, so I thought I was. So it wasn't like it's brand new, but I thought I was. But having been tested, I know I am. And when I say strong, I don't mean I'm strong because I got up and I went to work and I put a face on, you know, to the public and that sort of thing. I know I'm strong that I can, you know, survive lying on the floor crying, you know, and and just being you know you know you're going to go to the darkest place or the lowest place but no one I know I can survive that and that you know I can you know come back never leave it it never leaves you as you say they come in waves even 20 years later and so I guess I know I'm strong and that I can survive in that moment in that worst moment and I know that I can I can live I, I think that's the thing for a little time I, I wobbled of you know, do I need to almost have, is it a badge? Do you get it tattooed on your head? Is it, should you tell everybody straight away, you know, the first person you meet, oh, hi, I'm, I'm Kirsty, I'm your new lecturer, my dad is dead. You, you, you know, so it, it's just, a, it, it's very strange. So I, I think I know how to live. I know how to let it be a part of me, but not all of me. Mm. You know, we, we were saying, James, weren't we, that we're, you know, we're in this god-awful club, aren't we? <laughs> you know, and, and it is, you know, people who have lost parents and, and that sort of thing. You have to, to get it to be part of you, live with it being part of you, but not all of you. Right, so in a very roundabout way, I'll do my lecturing thing. I'll, I'll summarise what I think I learned, that, you know, 
with the naivety of youth thinking I was strong, I was tested. And, and I think I, I know that I am strong now. And strength for me means surviving that, living with it, never trying to, I don't believe in, like, like you, I believe in setting goals and moving forward, but I don't believe in forgetting. So I think that, you know, I now know that I'm strong and I can live. And I think I live in an appropriate way and in a respectful way to dad so that his memories you know he's remembered you know my my two children never met their granddad actually my husband never met my my dad so i tell them about him you know they they know they have a granddad and so i think that i've managed to live a, a strong life respectful of him and his memories remembering him never trying to forget him because i mean forgetting people is a good way to blunt the pain too mm. but i think yeah sort of strength i don't know if it's strength but i've learned i think to live a respectful life, not forgetting dad, weaving him still into the present, but not being destroyed by it. Yeah, yeah. The so the process that you speak about before, when you were like times the healer, but to get to that point where it works, sounds as though that's exactly what you use to go through everything. Um, looking back, then, do you think that process you've you you used then? has been refined or more adapted or kind of perfected because of what you went through? And have you used that kind of in a different example since then, whether it be like obviously not loss of kind of another person, but in another huge moment where, I don't know, you lose an entire data set or a database worth of data or, you know, something else massive happens. It's it's kind of employing the same process of dealing with like a huge moment to go through. Do you think you've managed to refine that which you speak about because of what you went through? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, I know now sort of what the worst thing is, you know, mm. I, I know what that, what that is. And so as, as, as James said right at the start, you, you know, the little things aren't quite as big there because you're like, oh my God, in comparison to that, this is yeah. nothing. And, and you know, you, you know that, you know, you know the things that you will survive, you know, if you do something awful or you make a big mistake, you know that in another few years that that would be nothing, you know, that that will have just diluted down. And, and you know, even since, since then, actually, I... I managed to get another almost 17, 18 years before I had that loss again. And, and my granny actually just died two years ago. And um, my granny was like my, my best friend growing up. She, she was great. My, in fact, I would say she was my favorite person. And, and so then sort of I was faced with the challenge of, you know, I'm not saying my dad wasn't, but my, you know, my dad, he hadn't been around a lot when mm. I was growing up. And, and the grief there was of, of youth, you know, 24, not understanding and it's a parent and all those things. So, so that was a huge thing. But then, you know, fast forward another 18 years and, and now I'm you know, in my 40s and my granny dies and she's in her 90s and, and people just don't want you to be sad because she's in her 90s and you're 40, come on. You, and you've been through it with your dad, so you know all of this. Um, but actually, you know, in, in a way, a, a different set of grief, a different set of circumstances. But yeah, I think the process around my, my granny's loss yeah, it, it was refined. It was different. I had coping strategies, mm. you know, and and, and, and again, probably I, I wasn't aware of them at the time. But yeah, things moved differently. I was able to, like James said, 
I had a process now yeah. and it was more to the front, you know, as, as, as Jen said, he drew on it from his dad. It became clear over time that you knew them, they were inherent. But you're right, I think, Rob, I, I definitely have used those skills time and time again throughout my life. And they have, you know, it's allowed me to deal with the loss of my grand, my, my absolute favourite person yeah. was a huge part of my life. And um, yeah, it, it didn't, whilst the sadness and the grief was as much, I. I didn't maybe, I guess, if I'm being really honest, I didn't spend maybe quite so much time crawling around the floor in a puddle. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think yeah. you, you're right. You use those experiences. Okay. So then fo- following on from that then, it sounds as though that whole process of giving yourself time and space, but f- filling that time and space with uh, kind of active um, or proactive things like, being busy and spending time with other people like friends and other networks is the real process that you learned from that whole scenario that you had kind of innately or somewhere locked in the back of your head but then came to the forefront when that happened that because of that and maybe something else has been kind of refined and you then utilized again later on is that if there was somebody going through the same process or the same loss of a parent or something for the very first time where perhaps they've got no other experience to build on or they haven't got any anything to any processes developed is that then the thing that you would try and uh, teach them or maybe give them advice about because it's worked so well for you yeah i mean gosh yeah, I, I mean, giving giving people advice, it, it's such a, you know, and, and James and I spoke about this, that even though we're in this bloody awful club, sorry, um, we all have, you know, even even James and I who have similar experiences, yeah. similar but different. And and so I think there, there's not a one size fits all. But I, I do think that if I were to, to be brave enough to give somebody a, advice, um, you know, beyond do what, what what's right for you, I would say, you know, Yes, surviving the the time in between banking days, you know, getting distance between that sort of first initial, you know, just just riding, I guess, the Mm. the waves. And I'm always afraid that people are going to to swallow it down, you know, as part of the, you know, time will heal, oh, it's another day on. They must think, well, it's five days later, I mustn't cry now. I was only allowed to cry on day one and day two. Um, So, yeah, I would say sort of that banking time, you know, surviving time, putting some distance, but knowing in that space that before you get to the, it's not the very first thought every yeah. morning because, you know, that that takes time, right, James? It, it is the first thought and the last, because the last, it's always the last thought, isn't it, when you get into your bed and um, then you don't sleep. But I think you will get to a time, believe it or not, where it's not your first or last thought of the day, but surviving that is about banking time reminding yourself at the end of each day look the world is going on i'm going on and it's not disrespectful and i think when james said you know i mean you guys invited me i was a bit worried that when i talk people would think god isn't she rude or isn't she a robot and she's got no feelings it's like no no it's surviving and 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 you have and i'm gonna i'm gonna say you should thrive as well that's not disrespectful but you should thrive you're still alive and my dad would be so angry at me if i you know just wasted my life and, and, and done nothing you know he was a real doer you know if if it had been somebody else who died my dad would have stepped up and did all the organization so so i have to remember you know how he was his values i've got to take them forward so i'm going to say yeah i, I would give them the advice to to survive in the first instant to to, to get some time behind them to live through some time yeah. even 
awful times and then to allow themselves to you should try we've got a whole life ahead of us um, and it's wrong it's wrong not to live and it's wrong not to thrive and it's not disrespectful you know James and I could both now we could we could we could turn you off Rob and we could both sit here right now today even though we're all smiling and we could both sit and cry couldn't we right now James that's the thing you can you can let yourself do that but today we're going to choose to share our experiences to talk and 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 to smile at each other yeah. and, and to know that we are here and, and that we're okay. We are okay. We're sad. We're always going to be sad, but we're okay. And and guess, sorry, in a very long answer to, to your question, that is the advice that I, I think, if there's some advice in there, it, it, is that every day to move forward a little bit. Don't even stand still, not for one day. Yeah. You've got to move forward. Yeah. Uh, brilliant like just um sitting back and listening to to it to it all is fascinating like it it really is um and thanks so much for sharing your whole experience and articulating everything like the process you went through of grieving and overcoming it and how that's kind of adapted you and the way of thinking and then you use that again later on through another kind of difficult moment and everything it's just brilliant so um, thank you so much for that. I think we there's a couple of short fire questions that we ask at the end that are really kind of one word or one liners that. Um, that I'm Irish. You'll never get me to say one. <laughs> 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 Unless it's fine, as you got me off. Okay, let's go for it. I'll be I'll be brief. Okay. All right. So um, yeah, just some quick fire ones, uh, Kirsty. So f- forget your career ambitions at present. But to you, what do you think personal success looks like in life? Oh, good question. Um, personal success. Um, right. I'm, I'm all about the work-life balance. And so success for me is if my children love me, my husband likes me, <laughs> and my colleagues respect me. I think that would probably be a, an aspiration. I, I would like to be known, I, I guess, because, you know, I am an academic and, and, and you know, we about the work and as you say I'm, I'm parking up but I would like to be known by my peers my colleagues those around me that this big social network as well that we now have access to as you know I'm as happy for you to know me or to call me Kirsty Sale mum as I would be for you to say mm. doctor so do you know what I mean so yeah. that, that's what success looks like for me where people who know me whether in an academic setting or a personal setting see that work-life balance yeah. Nice. I want my kids and my husband to run off in a few years and go, I don't want to do anymore and be a super successful academic. That wouldn't be a win for me. Yeah. You know, if I had to choose one way, I'd rather have a good home life. But I'd like both, please. Can I have both? Yeah. I'm sure uh, I'm sure Craig's not gonna run off anywhere. <laughs> um so what what makes you truly happiest? Oh, for sure, family. My my children make me make me truly happy. Uh, family life, it's all about family. And and actually, I, I have to honestly say, um, my friends, because you know, I still twenty years later live in a country alone, away from my family, and and my friends are, are hugely important to me. And I think I want to make sure that I'm there for them through their bumps in the road too, like they were for me. So friends and family, for sure. Um, it's a reason. It's a cliche, but it's a reason why it's a cliche because it's important, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, so if you weren't in your current profession, if, if it wasn't Dr. Kirsty Sale, what would you be doing? Um, oh, 
I also wanted to be a lawyer. I, I, I like to argue. I don't know. <laughs> I like to argue and I like to talk. Now that will have come across today. I love to talk and argue. <laughs> Um, so if I wasn't, if I wasn't me, I, I think I would be a lawyer. Um, but yes, again, maybe I told you my imagination was right. I, I want to be one of those like big trial lawyers who gets to talk a lot and argue a lot. Oh, and be nosy and, and, and do investigations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a child. <laughs> um, and, and finally, what do you think is the most critical characteristic of a successful person? whether that's personal success or career success? I don't, I don't know what the word for it is, and I'm probably going to poorly describe it, but the ability to see, I guess, beyond the moment, so that, you know, if, if you're working on a project, to see that there's more to life than that project. If, you know, if you've got a big problem in your home life, to see that there's something more than that. I, I don't know what you call that, but I think that those who are sort of truly successful or truly happy, I think not being entirely consumed or overwhelmed or brought down by, by one thing, I think that ability to, to see beyond that particular instant, because I think maybe that is a recurring theme today, is, is time and something beyond and, and the space that we can move into. Is there a word for that? I'm not sure. It's very profound, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I think that, you know, for me, it, it's not getting swallowed by any one emotion. I mean, we've talked about grief today, and, and I think it is super important. You, you don't get swallowed by grief. But I think, you know, all of the emotions that I guess, you know, are, are hard to, to deal with or to cope with is, is not to, to, to get consumed by them. And as James said, you, you don't get consumed by happiness either, do you? It, it's not, they're not extremes, are, are they? We, we exist upon a continuum. And I think just seeing a way out of difficult situations, seeing another option, you know, to, to despair and that black hole, I think that's really important. Just seeing the opportunities around us, you know, whether it's a cup of tea with a friend, yeah. you know, a change of occupation, something, to see something else is important. Yeah, very good. Well, uh, Kirsty, that's, um, uh, we've, we've gone through all the questions and I think that was um, incredibly, incredibly like enlightening and, and just really interesting to hear um, about kind of your whole story, really. Um, it was brilliant. It's, it's a hard one and, 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 and James knows in particular that the, you know, when he invited me, it's the type of thing that if at all I can help anybody, you know, if, if anything resonates, that that's great. It is sometimes hard to believe, you know, that your own lived experience will be of use to anybody else. And, and actually, you two have really challenged me to think about it because, you know, I... I I guess I didn't really reflect. Your questions have been eye-opening to me too and have really brought a voice to, as you say, some of the things I've learned and experiences. So, so no, thank you for having me. And as I say, I, you know, any reluctance to come on wasn't that I didn't want to share. I was just wondering, would it be of help to anybody? Yeah. But I think it's worth it, as I say, if, if, any, if anything resonates with anybody or, or if, you know, a bit like, you know, I know James is, and you both have actually, both of you equally have been very open to other people and accessible. And, and that is the same, same for me. So, you know, if 
anything I've said or, or if you think I can help, you know, I, I'm open to, to people emailing me. You can find me anywhere on the internet. I'm, I'm really accessible. So just drop me an email or I'm on social media. And, and I would say if, if I just can take one more minute, I think um, one thing in, in particular, because I, I know James quite well, I, I think what James did that I didn't do you know, sort of with, with a 20 year difference almost between us is I, I really admire James for taking his story right out into social media. I mean, Twitter wasn't on the go when it happened to me. And I had this small group of friends who, you know, sort of through pigeon carriers back in the day told each other and reached out to me. But I think what James has done with his own story and, and Rob, what you've done, you know, with, with other sort of, as you say, you know, different circumstances, but, but, but stories to reach out on a platform like social media. I really admire both of you and I'm really grateful for both of you. And I think that you've taken things to another level. So I'm really glad to be a part of that and even in a, in a small way. So, you know, don't thank me for talking to you. Thanks to you two for doing this mm. to help anybody even if it's one person it's worth it no there, there will definitely be people out there who resonate with it because every article or every time me and james have done something together like this we, i've always had emails come back and say do you know what this was brilliant like they they managed to articulate or put into words stuff that i have been feeling but didn't know what they were all of this sort of jazz and then somebody a couple of weeks ago just after christmas emailed me to say about one of the articles or I think it may have even been James's article, actually. Um, they emailed me to say um, it's similar when they were sitting in a classroom at university in their first year and they had a burning question that they wanted to ask, but they, they didn't want to put their hand up because they were too shy in front of 100 other, other people. And the question kept sitting in their head. They didn't ask it. And then suddenly out of nowhere, somebody at the front asked it and they felt so relieved that somebody had done what they wanted to do but didn't know how to do and they said it was the exact same experience when they read the article i think it was james's so there will there are always i guarantee there are always people out there who when they listen to this will just be like that that's an absolute light bulb moment and um it's just fascinating to hear to hear the stories really and how how your mind has has kind of processed everything that has happened um to you and gone through and progressed your life through it really. Um, so yeah, it's brilliant. Thank you so much. You never know what's going on, do you, behind no. you know that no. that public face? And and we are the sum of all these experiences, aren't we? We're not completely defined by any one of them, but we're made up of them. And and I think that's important. And and what you guys are doing is that you're allowing us, I think, a little glimpse into you know maybe some people that we only know from Twitter. So for some people who maybe just follow my account, know nothing about me, they're seeing a little bit more than just here's a paper I published and yeah. you know look at my wonderful run or whatever it might be because there's always so much more going on behind the scenes, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. Hundred percent. Look, Kirsty, uh, amazing to have you on. Really appreciate yeah. it, and um, yeah, thank thank you so much. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, guys. Listen, take care, of both of you. James, what did you uh, what did you think of that whole whole interview with Kirsty? Pretty uh, powerful, right? Yeah, it it was, mate. And um, I, I just think it's an amazing insight into a very well respected practitioner, <laughs> academic in in the industry that we all know from the social media and you know yeah. an amazing amount of publications but what we what we learned and listened to there mate was a, a normal individual and the struggles and tough time that that person had to go through at you know arguably such a young age yeah. um 
the highs of doing a PhD and graduating from it and then having to have that phone call, you know, there, there was a lot of kind of resonating there with me, but to, to listen to Kirsty explain it and talk about it so well, um, I am highly confident that many people will listen to that and see Kirsty in a, a different way that they probably have already for yeah. the better. Um, yeah. But also I think there'll be a lot that can resonate with it. Oh, and, and undoubtedly, I think, I mean, she, she articulates the whole thing so well about how she dealt with everything initially. And like I kind of said in, in there, um, there were some similarities between the way you both acutely, like the scenario hit you where you both said, you know, it was kind of like you get the breath taken away out of your lungs and you're hit. And, but then you both instantly started proactively doing stuff, whether it be like you said, asking your partner Nora about how her day was instantly you were you were already doing something to keep your brain active and Kirsty speaks a lot about that and she speaks a lot about spending time with her friends over here in England when she was down in uh, London Um, and she speaks a lot about just going out and walking and just having a look around and just being around other people just to keep her brain active and I think that as a whole process within itself is incredibly, um, I think, powerful. And she articulates it brilliantly. And then she moves on to the idea that time is the bigger healer out of everything. And I think the bit that really was interesting for me was that she sandwiches that whole process of time and using friends and keeping your brain busy to get to the point where time can start healing. She she does like a brilliant job of summarising that whole thing. And I think that as a process for dealing with um, any sort form of like hurdle or, you know, loss of a parent or something huge in your life is is quite a profound way of handling something. Yeah, yeah. And towards the end, what I actually liked um, about her advice was, and this resonated actually when I read your article and knowing the the kind of struggle that you went through was, not getting so absorbed Mm. in a particular situation and there is a wonderful world out there with amazing friends and family around us and things to do and things to see and and sometimes you get so caught up in the middle of what's actually happening right now that you forget about everything else you know and I think that was a really strong bit of advice from Kirsty to say you know yes the, the situation has happened but that doesn't mean that she has to stop living her life yeah, yeah. And, and you know you don't forget it you you always remember and it will always be a memory but it doesn't mean that she then couldn't go on and become a very successful yeah. reader and have an amazing amount of publications and be very well respected amongst yeah. peers and colleagues and and there's a glowing example of of, of her story um, really obviously extremely grateful for Kirsty for coming on um for me and james and dave that's the end of the the next episode if you want to hear more from us then head over to insideacademia.co.uk or onto spotify playlist or apple Podcasts, where you can find the mindside performance podcast um and listen to the other episodes that we have going on and we hope you enjoy them and join us next time but for now from me and james that's over and out